0: Starting's always the hardest part. It's like a first date. (laughs) You're just sitting across from each other. Don't know what to say. Rockwell. Hey, what programming languages do you like?
1: I mean, I'm kind of like, that's what I'm getting at here, actually, was I was about to ask you, what is Elixir
0: like? I wish I could tell you what Elixir was like, because I sure have not written Elixir in quite a long time. I was on the Elixir uh, subreddit. I lurk on there sometimes, and someone was asking some some questions that I was I was helping them out. They were they were asking about like, hey, uh, I'm trying to write a chat app. Okay, uh, can Elixir scale? Can Phoenix in Elixir scale to ten thousand concurrent connections? You know, should I use Phoenix or should I just do something lighter weight and just go straight up Elixir? And I'm like, all right, <laughs> obviously some preconceived notions here about what Phoenix is and how heavy-duty it is and I was like listen you're you're gonna end up recreating the wheel like if you try to do this without Phoenix you're just gonna end up recreating all those web conveniences that Phoenix provides for you and doesn't give you a lot of overhead and uh and I, I went through all my kind of dash, dashboard stats and spat out a bunch of numbers I was like okay got about 50 to 100 concurrent connections we push out about 90 messages per second on average and uh, I've got two tiny instances on AWS that sit around like 1% CPU on average, right? And like, y- you're going to be fine. Like, don't pre-optimize this.
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of th- conversations around that as well. Frameworks generally being considered a lot of overhead, right? So if you're trying to think of something in, in performance terms you almost get steered away from rails or phoenix or whatever other framework you're looking at right phoenix is like 42 files that's what i that's see that's what i that's what i'm <laughs> meaning though is that it's yeah it's different um phoenix is definitely different in 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 that realm and that was my experience too actually like when we when i first inherited the rails app i was having all sorts of troubles keeping it under control uh in terms of just not ballooning the server costs and After we had switched to Elixir, uh, I had paid like zero considerations to performance outside of regular database design, Mm -hmm. and it used like a quarter, it it cost a quarter of uh, the, the total price of hosting the Rails app that we had. Granted, the Rails app that we had inherited was written poorly, but it was like an instant just sigh of relief, like, okay, now we can continue on. We don't have to worry about... Dragging an anchor along with us, but I guess it comes down to pr- your priorities, which is a different conversation. But uh, sure, sure, yeah. So wait, so 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 what is a tiny? Like, what is what are the specs
0: on a tiny instance? Do you know? Oh, I, I was I was uh, using hyperbole there. I'm using a T3 medium instance. Um, a T the T instances come with uh, compute credits, so like they give you CPU up to a point, and then if you go over that, it starts to eat into your like credits that you've accrued uh so they're good for bursty you know cpu that you you don't need you don't you don't need a continuous cpu power because otherwise you just eat through the credit and they throttle you i've run into that before and that is not fun to troubleshoot (laughs) why everything is going slow as molasses uh because you ate through all your cpu credits anyway so t3 mediums uh i forget exactly they're 30 bucks a month and I have two of them because of you know redundancy, and they're you know load balanced and clustered. Uh, but I don't need them for performance reasons, just for you know uptime reasons. Right, right. And then um, I forget how much RAM they have. I forget how much CPU they have. It doesn't matter because like the app uses two hundred megs of RAM. Like <laughs> that's it. It's nothing. That's funny. I think I think at DK in DK's heyday.
1: I mean, it's still running, so people are still using it. But I think in his heyday, it's like. 500 megabytes 600 megabytes at the very very most and that's when we are running in you know thousands and thousands of jobs uh for different things
0: sure yeah ecto is like the big ram user and plus uh the beam just in general is is very very loosey-goosey with memory right i mean the garbage collector is very lazy Mm -hmm. uh which is just how it works you know i I kind of pre-optimized some of that where i did a a kind of i I actually manually run some garbage collections because i uh I know I can, so I just try to keep that number down, even though I don't you know need to, but it helps my mental health <laughs> to keep <Yeah>. it down <laughs>
1: i've been I've been struggling with that a little bit with react and it well in terms of like performance and and thinking about performance and experiencing uh maybe not performance issues per se, but just like annoying things, so I use console login debugger a whole lot for things and the projects that we're working on are, they don't use class-based components at all. It's its all React hooks and functional components. And so we end up using useEffect for things. And it's a crapshoot trying to figure out, like, okay, what is making this thing re-render 10 times? Why why is this thing re-rendering 10 times? There should be no reason for this. And it's so difficult to debug. The dev tools are basically useless, if I'm being honest. Uh, React dev tools, that is. So, yeah, its it's... It's difficult maybe there's a trick i haven't haven't learned yet to
0: to doing it but same thing with you honestly the the rhr console is uh it crashes the view dev tools pretty <laughs> much every time like it's just there's just too much it just can't handle it uh even the new ones the new dev tool versions where they they optimize the performance and stuff it's a lot better mm-hmm. uh so instead of crashing 100 percent of the times it crashes like 90 percent of the time so yeah <laughs>
1: I asked some people, like, how do you deal with this? And they're like, well, I don't use... Or, I guess really what I asked was, do you ever use the React Dev tools? And they're like, no, we don't. <laughs> like, okay, well, I, you know, I tried to, but there's so many, like, if you've ever um, looked at an app where there's so so many DOM nodes nested, it's just like in the inspector, it's just like a little tiny column of HTML you can see. It's just not readable. Stuff,
0: yeah, it's stuff like that. It just makes it kind of difficult to work with. I wrote my own version of the cold fusions dump tag cf dump okay. <laughs> cf dump was this great tag you could use in cold fusion uh I, I still have the the muscle memory in my in my fingers from from the eclipse version of cold fusion ide uh control shift d basically cf dump what it would do is you could it would just take whatever variable you throw at it and just spit it out on the web page kind of like a console log right Uh, but it would do it in sort of a sort of nested like it would give you like a table and you could dig down into the table and view you know that object and each state and arrays and strings and objects everything is nested you could just click down and expand it yeah and so uh, it's great in debugging tool use it all the time you just just dump out something in the middle of the page and try to figure out the state yeah i actually (laughs) created that in view It's it's a recursive component it's called dump and uh it it knows about different types, so it knows if it's a string, an integer, an object, or like a date or whatever, or an array, mm. and then it just recursively uh, renders itself so you can expand stuff in real time, a little click to expand and stuff, and like, I have to do that, because I can just, I can just, uh, like, go in and do surgery, and like, I need to inspect this object, right? I can't look at the whole tree, it's gonna, it's gonna blow up.
1: You basically recreated some PHP stuff there.
0: Yeah, pro- probably, yeah. There dump. Cold Fusion probably stole it from PHP.
1: Yeah, I've been trying to learn. Um, well, actually, one technique that I've been using a lot lately. So, so I've been doing a lot more MRS of code that I don't write, which is new to me. And and one of the things I think it was at ElixirConf. Actually, I was talking to Luke Imhoff, uh, who at least used to work for Dockyard, but they're working on the uh, Lumen compiler, like uh, the WebAssembly stuff. Uh, the, He also, or they also maintain the uh, IntelliJ Elixir plugin, and so, yeah, I, I I forgot what question I asked, but they basically were like, well, when I'm working through complicated things, they just use a piece, piece of paper and a pencil, and they just keep track of the the call stack on paper. And I was like, oh, that's so uh, non-technical, but genius at the same time. You know, it's like leaving yourself a trail. So, I've been doing that a lot instead of trying to rely on React Dev Tools or different things. I'll just use my iPad pro and a pencil or piece of paper and a pencil and I'll basically just kind of like leave the breadcrumbs for myself. And that's been really, really helpful. It's been a challenge kind of keeping like, you have to basically when every time I go into an MR for some of these bigger features, I have to sort of re rebuild the world every time. So I'll go in, piece together what's happening, how it's happening, why it's happening, leave some feedback, move on to the next one. And the next day or the next week, come back to an MR and have to remember, okay, why did I say what I said here? You have to reconstruct the world again. So I feel like I'm becoming more efficient at it, but uh, it's definitely a little bit overwhelming at first.
0: Yeah, it's bad enough trying to look at your code from a week or a month or a year ago, but looking at someone's code for the first time and trying to, having to reconstruct that, you know, build that foundation and build the whole thing up so, just so you can follow the, uh, the breadcrumb trail. I'm trying to not speak
1: too early on things or give feedback too early on things. Uh, cause I don't want to, there's been a few cases where I'll like have feedback and I'll, and I'll suggest something and they and then they'll reply with like, Oh, I'm doing
0: this because of this thing over here. I'm like, Oh, carry on I disregard, <laughs> you know? What, what like, do you mean reply too early? Like you just didn't give enough time to like marinate or, yeah. or just, okay. Okay. But also,
1: uh, I can't like spend all day doing it, you know? So trying to find the happy medium of like, okay, when do I know I actually feel, or when do I feel like I actually understand what's happening here and why they did what they did versus I maybe a better way to put that is I'm trying to avoid just off the cuff or knee jerk like reactions to code that I see.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah. I I found that when I was trying to schedule like my schoolwork, whether in high school or college or whatever, it was always like if I just do everything immediately when it's assigned, I'm always doing work, <laughs> right? But if I wait a little bit and do it closer to when it's due, like then I'll actually have downtime to sort of not be working you know because if you start your work immediately it just expands to fill the time between now and the due date right mm-hmm. so by uh by waiting a little bit you kind of compress that time and since you always have a deadline anyways it kind of i don't know forces you to be i'm not saying like procrastinating until the last like three hours before a project is due at midnight like i didn't do that kind of thing but it's like uh there's no point in doing a thing immediately in cases like that, you know, just just trying to, just trying to fit it in where it belongs. So, and that kind of sounds like the same thing where, you know, if you're just always constantly responding to email or, or, you know, responding to pull requests or merge requests that come into your inbox as soon as they come in, like, that's not gonna, it's just, they'll never end, right?
1: Yeah, I, it's just, it's it's a delicate balance of having, having like the dedicated uh, sprints, knowing that clients will see cards hanging out in a column for maybe too long, right? Or comments about things. Uh, Luckily, the client I have now is pretty chill about everything, but it's sort of like a balance of actually being productive and maintaining the the appearance of being productive uh, so that everyone's happy. So I guess what I've been trying to do is just trying to time box it a little bit each day. Uh, But really what happens is my day Starts out with I have all my calls in the morning, and then I look in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, I've got all this time to actually write this code and finish these features, and actually help the team. And then little by little, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you come over here and do that? Can you can you work on this other thing over here? uh Time gets pulled away from me. uh You know, I check in on the developers. Hey, you're doing okay? Do you need anything? Well, actually, do you want to look? You know, so it turns out it turns into like you know pair programming sessions or and all that's good. But yeah, it's definitely like a I'm I'm finding that I wish I'm a, I was able to zoom in and, and like clear everything out and just like focus
0: easier than I than I am able to right now. You got to get in and kill the ads before you can take care of the boss.
1: Yes, yeah, and that's maybe that's maybe what I'm working on now because that was never an issue at my previous job. I I don't know why, but yeah, I think. Now it's like maybe it's because I wasn't context switching as much before. Now I'm con- context switching a lot more, and it takes me time to get into that mode where things just kind of fall away and I'm able to zone in and, and focus on what I'm trying to do. But Are are you working on multiple projects, or it's just one project right, right now, right? That you're working on? No, well, no, well c- kind of. Yeah, I have my main one. I'm working, I'm helping estimate another big project. Um, I'm working with the team. On the interviewing process, actually, wow, uh, yeah, because we want to make sure that we're like the interviewing process is 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 um, approachable for for all parties. So, well, for for all people that try to try to take the test, because not everyone can dedicate, you know, ten to twenty hours to build a project from scratch as a part of an interview step. Uh, so, we're trying to figure out how can we uh, not require ten to twenty hours. Uh, in in you know, in just one part of the interview because there's other parts of interviews where we have to talk to people and all that stuff. Um, but still feel capable or like not capable, but feel like we're confident in their capability to do what we need them to do since I was the most actually I'm one of the only ones that went through that process because I guess I'm one of the only engineering leads there that have been hired from the outside. Uh, they have lots of questions for me and things. So one of the things I did the last couple of days is I took my, my coding project and I sabotaged it. So I went through and like, what do, what would I not like to see in a react project? And I did that or, um, Broke some consistency rules here or there, or just kind of like instead of having someone create from scratch, can they look at an existing project and suggest, like, here's what you should do here, here's what you should do there, and then it's another step, like, help another dev implement those fixes because that's a big uh, part of the job. Okay. So, yeah, instead of creating from scratch, because that takes a lot, because then you have to like think about do I write from, do I write these libs from scratch? Do I find a library? Then you have to vet the libraries, then you have to like write about why you chose libraries that you wrote. So it just kind of like, goes from here's a coding test to here's a project and they paid me for the project time which was cool but it's still not everyone has time that much time to just dedicate to the interviewing process so
0: yeah so no i'm not just working on one project <laughs> yeah so not only your context switching within individual features or bug fixes or whatever on one project but you're 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 prepping for the next thing your mind's already you're already like three steps ahead on the next thing
1: also, I uh, gave a presentation on Mirage JS for the whole dev team, which was interesting. <laughs> so,
0: how did that go? Anything, anything interesting there? Uh,
1: it was, it was okay, I guess. I don't know. There were a lot of questions, which were good. Some of them I couldn't answer, but yeah, in general, it was it was good.
0: I think, like, sorry, what what was the point of the of the thing? Was it just like, hey, here's this cool thing I learned about. Maybe you guys check them out, or was it kind of like a sales pitch, like, hey, we should consider this for future projects. The former. So
1: I I guess for anyone that's not familiar, Mirage basically allows you just to mock API endpoints. But uh, instead of just having static data responses, uh, it actually has like an in-memory database and it has an ORM that ships with it. So you can actually fully test your create and update and delete mutations and things like that without having to, okay, click delete. Now we're just going to load static data. And that was, you know, preset. So the same as last time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so it's a pretty neat tool, but it but it was more like uh I was mentioning to my boss, hey, um I have this problem on the current project that we're working on and this, this thing seems like it could solve it. And she's like, Oh, that's cool. Do you wanna present uh do you wanna like show it to the whole team? I was like, Okay. So yeah, I had to like make a project and then present it to like forty people or whatever and and then just field questions for a while. <laughs> But the cool, the coolest experience, a part of that experience was that so many people had questions or and use cases for this I had never even thought of. So like one of the questions was, oftentimes we take on projects that have both a web end and like a native app component. So could we use something like Mirage as a as a standalone API of sorts for them both to use? Because mainly because Mirage ships with an ORM, which could save a lot of work. It also, you can also like use fixture data which from JSON or whatever. Um, but mainly because it has adapters. So like it has an active model, active record adapter. So you could basically pattern it after what Rails would respond with and take in terms of arguments. It has a JSON API serializer. So you can create a custom serializer to match whatever you're working with. Um, but the question was like, can we use this standalone? And what, how, so how Mirage works is you you pull it in and you define your routes and it uses pretender to uh, basically hijack a fetch request. Uh, so I'll put links to this in show notes, but so it basically hijacks the fetch request. And so because it does that, there's no like specific port that it runs on. It's not a separate service. It's part of your application. So basically to do that, you'd probably have to spin up an express server and then, and, and then use, uh, you would use Mirage inside of your, your separate server, right? So you still an extra step in having to wrap it, but um, that was something that, I, that was like a use case that I hadn't, hadn't considered at all. Um, and in fact, like when I was explaining uh, that, well, one of the questions was like, well, what port does it run? Like, does it just run on the default port? Like, what's the default port? How does it work? And I was like, well, there's no port. And they're like, how is that possible? <laughs> so actually on the call, Paul Straw like went into the source, he's like, oh, it's using Pretender. And so we're like, okay, what is, what is Pretender? And we kind of like, you know, as devs were like tearing this thing up, probably like digressing a little bit on the call, which was cool. That's but perfect though. No, that's yeah. great. That's great. But yeah, that was, an, that was like a new experience for me because normally I share things in discord and people are busy and so like, oh cool. But I had like, I had like 30 or 40 people's like undivided detention at that moment and they're all programmers, which was really, uh, a new experience.
0: <laughs> no, no pressure.
1: You could, I would be saying something. And I could tell like eyes were squint- getting squintier, squintier, <laughs> and, and then I would finish the sentence and they'd just be like, you know, like nodding along. So it's funny. Very good. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the original question was, no, I'm not just like, that's, I'm doing more things. I don't, I'm not on like two projects that are, you know, being
0: built, but I'm trying to help in other areas as well. What a what a crazy role you've fallen into. Like could you ever anticipate that you'd be doing stuff like this uh, 2 months ago, you know, when you're you're knee deep in in elixir and vjs and just banging that stuff out and now you're like wrangling people and code and technologies and
1: I figured it was inevitable. Like regardless like, or it was inevitable in, in that like, you know, we would grow dk or side door. Like side door, I think they're about to hire three more people. Wow. So the engineering team would be six total. So I think for me, it kind of felt inevitable anyway. So I was already sort of anticipating. Inevitable for you or for DK? For me, for me. Like DK or Side Door, whatever position I was going to be in, we were growing. Got it, got it. And that would have to be part of the job anyway. So a lot of what I was doing at Side Door before I left, even though it was with just a few people, like they've doubled in size now since I left actually. I was, you know, I was doing that there. And MetaLab is just a bigger scale, I suppose. But yeah, I like specifically, no, maybe, but I think like the role, I, I was trying to prepare myself for that because it was the only way forward that I could see. I don't know. Like you, you observe people, and everyone talks about their management route or the tech, like the, the, the principal route, right? So you go into like leading the team or you go into, going deeper and being the expert on a very specific area. Mm -hmm. It seems like those are the two paths that you have. I agree with that. Yeah. And I feel like, um, I don't feel like I'm a great programmer. Uh, I feel like there's some people that just get it naturally. Uh, And that's, you know, there's a big discussion there too, but I don't feel like I'm predisposed to be a good programmer. But um, I think well, I guess I'm not really predisposed to be a good people person either. But I think, like, I think, <laughs> but here we are. I think music really taught me a lot about the people side of things. Uh, and it's not that you're working people, right? I mean, kind of, you kind of are. The business of music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The business of music. Like, yeah, you're genuinely interested in meeting your fans and talking with fans and stuff, but also you're interested in selling them a t shirt,
0: <laughs> you know?
1: So that kind of, uh, I think prepared me for like, yeah, I'm generally, genuinely, genuinely interested in the devs that I'm working with, like learning and growing and enjoying their work, but also I'm interested in them in moving cars to the done
0: column. (laughs) Right. When I was at Agilent, long storied company with a lot of history, you know, previously HP, a lot of old timers there, people who have been there their entire careers, Right. There was even a guy who literally had his first paycheck on his cubicle, right like wall it was like for some piddly amount, yeah uh, from like forty years ago or whatever right but like I saw both sides of that spectrum. He you knows this guy I worked with who i I kind of consider a mentor, very, very technical, had a couple of patents to his name, you know, through the company um developed uh groundbreaking features for our products that that uh were just technically interesting and unique to what we could offer you know they're operating on, on another level right this is the guy who literally had a a pad of like he would get like a spiral bound notebook and just like print out screenshots and tape them in it and they're like what are you doing just use one note and i showed him one note and then like a week later he had the most complicated one note you'd ever seen yeah right <laughs> just like a million tabs a million folders great but uh there's that you know, like you said the, the the sort of senior engineers like right, the people who take the deep dives who are suited to that and then like my boss my boss uh was a uh you know former i think navy uh contractor or employee uh used to be an engineer now is just a really really awesome manager everyone in the company loved him uh he was great at uh you know protecting us from what marketing wanted he was good at figuring out who could be assigned what he was good at managing us and dealing with conflict and all that stuff He was just the best boss and like like you said there's two different paths that people can go down and uh me personally i see myself going to the former you know i just i just love making stuff i just love writing code getting dirty uh with 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 hardware and software and just doing all that stuff and the nitty-gritty like give me that all day you know I don't, I kind of envy you for that ability to 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 go more in the uh the higher level route because it's just uh just different and I can't I can never see myself doing that. I don't know, it's weird. It's weird. Um I don't even know how to put it in words.
1: No, I know what you're saying because I feel the same way about the principal side. You know, I I I think I would prefer I I enjoy heads down time thinking about technical things and trying to solve those problems. I just happen to think or feel that I am better at the other side of it. And that could just be because of time spent doing that uh, on, you know, tour, road management, all that stuff. I've spent more time doing that than, like, probably heads down real, like, computer science stuff or like, problem solving with code, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think like, I do get some level of satisfaction out of doing those things, like you said, like protecting the team. And And Thomas was mentioning some design stuff that we had kind of, like, talked about last week that maybe I would talk about this week, but... One thing that felt really good or one thing I think like the, the, the best thing I've done so far since joining this project is like really pushing hard to get a source of truth for for the theme and, and for the UI kit. Uh, and this project is specific, like no shade or anything like that uh, towards Metalab. But this project is, is special because... It's sort of been a long term project and there's been like a revolving cast. So, the designer that designed everything in- initially isn't on the project anymore and hasn't been on the project. So, we have another designer who's kind of in my position where she's having to like learn all the context as she goes, why things are the way they are, why they are where they are, all that stuff. And so, you know, a lot of the feedback I was getting or a lot of the churn we were having on merge requests are, well, this is a different color or. This color is named weird. Like, why are we using line divider gray on a heading? This, this type style is like one-off not used anywhere else. Should it be in the theme? Should we go back to designer and say, Hey, do can, is there something else that's already preexisting that we can use? And, and so, you know, looking at the symptoms, I basically just got with the producer and designer and was like, all right, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta figure out a source of truth for everything. So you know long story short we ended up getting together and looking at the design looking at the code i got all of this i got a, basically a unique list of every color the theme showed to the designer she went through the designs got every color from the designs and we made a unified color palette um, so we're starting to work like we deprecated the old colors we're not breaking anything we're just adding the new palette we're not using semantic naming and we can talk maybe more about this if you want to but we're not using semantic naming each color has a unique name regardless of whether it's a shade of another color Basically, like I was like, "All right, there's a problem and I need to fix it." And it took me a few weeks, but <laughs> I feel like we're starting to make progress
0: on that front, which is feels good. That's cool. That's such a thankless job too because it's one of those things that someone just has to do. You just got to buckle down and do it. Yeah. You know, it's like the uh, uh the first thing that comes to mind is the NASA graphical style guide. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. It's this um it's a it's a it's a graphic design like handbook for uh, NASA marketing logos typography how things should be laid out like it's just it's a thick 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 book that you can get on like designer websites it's like a coffee table book it's it's kind of that definitive and in, in how uh how good it is for codifying all their design stuff and uh it just reminds me of that you know I've never had to do something quite that comprehensive but man I love me a good a good style guide whether it's for, <laughs> for code or for design Wrap that up and give it to me, and I I will follow it. Well, so I mean, I have thoughts,
1: I guess, as I'm learning, because I haven't really done a bunch of theming in the past. I know you've done a little bit, barely, barely. But yeah, I definitely have. I have some thoughts, and after like talking to a few people, that was another thing was we there was an engineering team call, and we were talking about some things that we had run into, and uh, some of us stayed late on the meeting, and we just talked about the theme stuff. I was like, hey, does anyone want to chat about? Like, can anyone share some experience here and a few people stayed late uh, which is awesome of them to do but yes yeah, so, like the theme that we started working with was all semantically named so like line divider gray uh primary card gray uh secondary card gray everything was sort of tied to an element in the ui
0: well hold on but if you if you you're get me fired up here <laughs> sure. if you say gray you immediately threw out semantics well not necessarily because it's tied to an element. Yeah, but gray is a color. It doesn't like if it's the, like say like muted or something, right? Like that's semantic. If you say a color, you've immediately lost semantics. So what I'm talking about is having colors that are attached the
1: the the name of the thing is attached to the other side of it. What it looks like, what it's used for. Right. Interesting. Okay. Right. So so, like I said, line divider gray, it, that means that this gray is specific to a line divider.
0: I understand. Okay, line divider gray is the,
1: okay, got right. it. Right, so it, got line got divider it. is a thing that is gray. Or primary card is the thing that is whatever shade of gray it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you end up having a couple of dozen of those, a few dozen of those, right, after a while. Uh, and it could be that line divider gray and primary card gray are the same. Color, it could be that right, um, but not always. And so, if you have if you approach color naming like that, you have to be very, very, very strict in, uh, in in your your pull requests or your code reviews to to never like use line divider gray for a type heading yep. or use line divider gray for another UI element because then it loses meaning, right? Then it, the that's what I mean by semantic is like then it loses it's tied to a thing, and then when you when you suddenly like break that relationship, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. You can't dilute it. Yeah. Uh yeah, and and, and we weren't just not that disciplined, so we ended up having like I divide a grade in different places and all these different like values in other places. And it's just really hard to to work. So I think naturally what happens when you start when that starts growing a lot is you start to Start to see like okay, well, this text code is here. This hex code is here. It's it's repeated like three times. So let's extract those three repeats into another variable name. So then your 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 like line of or gray is actually the result of a different variable, um, which you know is whatever. But it just all feels um, pointless. To yeah, you're you're reducing duplication,
0: but it's like for for what at that point? How many themes are you actually supporting? Is it two? Is it a light and a dark theme, or is it? Mm-hmm. It's just light and dark for now, I mean who know it could be more later, yeah does, does it need theming based off of like a particular company or client or anything like that? could be in the future customizable, you don't know okay, yeah.
1: so so I guess what I mean is that like attaching your color names to the thing that it will be uh is difficult to maintain over time, and as your project grows, that's just gonna keep getting bigger because more things, regardless of if If there are other things that are still the same color, they are just going to be more things added to your project.
0: One of the big things I had trouble with when I'm using air quotes theming Ham Radio, there is a light and a dark theme on the console. And I basically had a, um, I kind of scope it at the body level. Like I just do body class equals light or dark, Mm -hmm. right? And then all the selectors are based off of that But what I had trouble with was sort of when you start nesting elements, like you've got the background and then maybe have like a panel and then maybe have like an input field, right? Like those are, that's three different colors and there has to be contrast between those. Mm -hmm. But like, you can't name them like light, darker, darkest, or, you know, you can't name them by like the, the relative brightness of each other. Cause maybe in light mode that looks good, but maybe in dark mode, you really want to sort of invert the sort of color paradigm. Maybe you want the background to be lighter yep. than the foreground. Or maybe you want the background to be, you know, so it's like, uh, you end up with like alt one, alt two, alt three or something, right? Yeah. Like level one, level two, right? And it's like as long as you keep that nesting straight, okay, like maybe you have a chance of it coming out right. But even then it doesn't guarantee that uh the light and the dark are gonna be Yeah. Are gonna are going to look good. And yeah um yeah I don't know. There's lots of techniques you can use to, you know, with the uh, opacity and stuff to get around that now. But it's uh it's
1: a challenge. It is a challenge. And and I guess the trouble with approaching things like with light, lighter, lightest, dark, darker, darkest, uh, to me at least, that implies that uh yellow light the distance between well distance here, I don't know the actual proper term here, but the distance between yellow and yellow light could be different than brown and brown light, right? So yellow light could be really light and brown light could be not as light uh and that that could be i don't know i don't like that idea same thing with so one thing i brought up was like well tailwind i i liked it in the past and it used like 1 through 900 1 being light 900 being dark right and uh one of one of the people on the team was like well that that works uh to an extent but it it's hard to scale that because you have sort of a set number of colors or shades which is which is probably fine but if you're having to work with a completely custom palette then Some colors don't have, there's not, basically you lose sort of your uniformity, right? So some of your shades, again, might be different. Again, I don't know the word, distances, right? So 100 to 200 might be different. Um, And then also on top of that, um, it's harder to scale when, and I've not been involved in a project uh, at this size that they were talking about. But when you have multiple design teams and multiple engineering teams all kind of working off of the same palette, uh and working on multiple projects off of the same palette it can be really difficult to just constrain things to just that set of colors um and and they were saying that the only real way that they were able to make things sane was each color no matter the shade had a completely unique name and that was the sort like if if you use that name that was that color that was it kind of like a pantone book in a way uh, because across project, if you're saying you're talking, it wasn't like Gray 200 or whatever. I think they actually used a website. There's there's a bunch of sites out there that you pop in hex code and it generates a name for it, like uh, Ghost Gray or, um, I don't know, different. They just give them names, right? So basically at that point, there was one main list that ha- it was a source of truth for every color, and that was it. So... We don't have our project's not that that big. We're not working with dozens of people and different teams on different different projects and stuff. But uh, we're trying to go that approach a little bit because in the color theme that we have, we don't have any semblance of rhythm between the shades, right? I think that trying to go with lighter
0: lightest or one hundred two hundred would wouldn't even work for us in the first place. There, how does this fragmentation happen? Like it seems like. There's, if if I see a color I want to use, I'm going in and just copying and pasting the hex code. You know, like uh, who's who's changing those? Is that is that what people are doing? They just come up with their own colors willy nilly. Well, no this this project is unique.
1: Like I said, okay. So we inherited a bunch of the code base from the client already, and then the original designer. From what I understand, again, this happened. This all happened before I was there. From what I understand, we inherited a bunch of the code base from the client. And also the, the original designer that worked on the project um, didn't have access to any developers. So they were just going off what they were told. Hmm. Uh, and so a lot of it was just kind of like on the fly, ad hoc designing on both sides of things. And then fast forward, you know, I show up and we're using their code and now we have designs and we're trying to merge them and there's just, its it was difficult. So the only solution to that was going to the designer That we have now and being like all right let's both of us get on the same page let's come up with a source of truth for the colors here's the palette well if it changes a bunch of stuff we'll figure out a migration story for that on dev that's fine um but we need one set of colors uh and we need one set of type sizing like rhythm and that's that's what we need and we need the ui kit updated to reflect that so that way when we have an mr come in and we're looking for VQA stuff visual quality assurance writer making sure it matches the design i know where to i know where to go look for the source of truth because right now i'm scrolling through different screens comparing okay it looks like most of these buttons (laughs) so um you know and then the designer might look at it and be like oh let's tweak this value and i'm like well okay now we're having feedback loops of 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 design tweaks when really having a source of truth would solve this in the first place so Mm -hmm. that's what i mean by it's a special project in that it wasn't It's. it wasn't done in a typical manner up front got it okay i can i can see then how that could
0: very easily get off the rails
1: and that's why like in talking with the other web leads i kind of describe it to them and they just laugh a little bit because they're like yeah that's not that's not typical uh and it's my first project you know so they're just laughing because i have to like figure it out
0: <laughs> the new guy throw the hard stuff at the new guy
1: Well, not knowing what the the model looks like, really. It was either that or I'd take over like this gigantic project, which I'm glad I didn't have to do. So, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's what I've been doing. That's where my views are theming are coming from and is what doesn't work and how can we fix it gradually going forward. So what's cool is that we're starting a new sprint on Monday and I have a Figma doc with the current color palette. Each color has its own unique name. They're grouped by like blues and greens and whatever and we actually have another uh, frame right next to it um, that is the 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 migration guide so this color when we start making changes to the actual application this color should become this so ideally this is kind of like a change in one or two places situation this color becomes that b becomes this c becomes this d we're not using so we're moving it to the deprecated pile and um, to complicate it further Uh, We have one repo for all of the shared React components, and that's being used in a live production app, and it's also being used in the app that we're building currently, and it will be used in a third app we're about to start. (laughs) So that was another thing that I was thinking about is how do I fix this when the ship's left the station already? You know, like this thing's flying. Luckily, the one that's already being used is an internal tool, so we have a little bit of flexibility there, but still. That kind of like adds another layer of complexity. Is I can't just blow everything away. I have to. That's why I mean, like, we're deprecating these colors. Like, all that means is we're just putting a comment above it do not touch, do not use, <laughs> um, and then adding a palette above it. But we have to do this in a non destructive manner. Right, right, right. I see. I see. I can not just do a global find and replace. It's easy. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I don't have. <laughs> I've never even seen, uh, I've seen, actually no, I've seen a screenshot of the other app. So
0: The real question is, are the themes good? Like, <laughs> light theme and a dark theme, so, sometimes one can look better than the other. Are you happy with them so far? Or do you not care <laughs> it's not your wheelhouse? You just have to implement it. I do not care. <laughs> okay, fair enough.
1: As long as the designers are happy and the clients are happy, then, uh, in the and my devs are happy, then I'm happy. Are you happy though? I will be at the end of next week when, uh, these, the these the first tickets to like fix this crap are done. There you go. So, so Joe Strouth, one in the chat is saying, I find those divider gray variables really useful, making non semantic tokens as options, then more layers of decisions for themes, component states, etc. Right. Um, I think they can, but I think where where it broke down and became only useful for us was that they were used in they were just
0: used all over the place, and so they lost that meaning. What you're saying, Sean, is that the 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 divider gray was used on things that are not dividers. Yeah. So it's just that's just right out. Right. So <laughs> that's right out. So I mean, what Joe was
1: saying is like if you have these these sort of tokens that that, uh, means something like line divider or card or whatever, then you could dynamically, you know, swap whatever their meaning is. And you sort of have this interface for your theme, right? So you, you could like swap a dark theme for a light theme in, in that way. Uh, and I think that's, that's probably fine, but I think like our, our problems were stemming from one level deeper than that. So fixing the level deeper, I think would allow us to sort of build on top of it, but we have to do that first.
0: Do you have faith that, this new style guide source of truth is is enough for people to uh follow it you know like is is it easy enough that people are going to actually pay attention to it and and fix things or or like is this gonna be a flood of mrs to get everything migrated over
1: well that's my i think that's my part of my responsibility is to enforce it okay or to help educate or not educate maybe not be educate is not the right word but inform right like here it is, here's the source. Tr- well, I guess the other thing I didn't mention is that I also made a different, another change to our process. So um, I'm trying to be really conscious of our developers' time. And I don't want to just throw them into more meetings uh, for the sake of it. But um, we used to have a weekly design review where it was just me and the producer and the designer. And I would basically try to ask questions and shoot holes and stuff before it got to uh, where we're having to work on it. But what I did was I asked the devs working with me. I asked them, "Would you be okay with being added to this meeting? Would you be okay with looking at designs and thinking about helping me think about them and helping me shoot holes in them and all that stuff?" And they were. They're were like, "Yeah, totally." Uh, because I think they realized that they're, because of the amount of stuff I'm looking at, I'm always going to miss something. And even if there's another pair of eyes, they're going to miss, they're going to see something right away that I might've missed. Cause I was looking, I latch onto something different than they do. And so like today we had our, our first like team design call where we had the designer and all the devs together. And it was really, it was really great. So like they had never even met each other before. So we're like introducing them to each other, uh, which was cool. So it puts a face to the name and then we just kind of sat down it wasn't adversarial at all we looked at some designs and i asked some questions other developers asked some questions it was it was, it was like super productive productive meeting yeah what a concept i dhs just like shivered a little bit when i said that but but i don't know i think like i guess like what i'm getting at with that point is trying to figure out i think before i was be i was like the carrier pigeon a lot so someone would have a question, I'd be like, okay, well, let me go find the designer and ask, or like, let me go find the person who knows and ask. And then I'd go back and like, okay, here's the answer, you know? And then they'll be like, well, what about this? And they'll like, okay, well, let me go back to the designer and ask. And I figured, why not cut that out? Because it's wasting my time. It's wasting their time. And it's probably frustrating. So let's just hop on a Zoom call together once a week and
0: look at it together. Yeah. I mean, that's what meetings should be for, to be honest.
1: And of course, if we don't have anything to review, then we're not gonna we're not gonna have the Zoom call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think what's interesting is that like when I joined, uh, they basic I, I asked like, do you have a template of of what a project looks like, like what my job looks like from a day to day, you know, perspective? And they're like, we don't. Every every lead kind of has their own process. So I'm emulating the person I kind of took over from, but I'm starting to make those tweaks and make it my own, which feels good because I feel, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the changes I've been making, not that, they, not that things were running poorly before, but for how I, I guess, how I manage, which is weird to say, uh, it feels like it's working because following up with them, they seem like, they seemed happy about the meeting. They seemed like, yeah, it was beneficial. It wasn't a waste of their time. And, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Kind of learning on on the fly, but it's not programming related. <laughs> it's people related.
0: Yeah, this theme migration is not going well. I'm going to have to ask you to come in on Saturday. That'd be great. I'm going to have to ask you to move this make styles call
1: to a style component in a separate file. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a thing I did today twice. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just sort of have like these basic things I look at or look for and ask, and they're mostly consistency related. Uh, anything I try to catch after that, like I think the consistency maybe is the most important thing I can catch besides like just straight up bugs or something like that.
0: And I'm just over here like an animal, including the minified static tailwind CSS, <laughs> the rails and just go into town. <laughs> I wish we could do that in a way, but yeah. It's not great, but also uh, not terrible. Pragmatic. That's, that's where pragmatism falls. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not technically the best solution. And gets the job done. Yeah. But I don't have any of those other requirements either, so...
1: I don't know if that was the design talk Thomas wanted to hear, but uh, <laughs> really, really, like... I guess at the end of the day for the theme stuff, like obviously I don't have all the answers for everything and I know what isn't working for us. So I'm trying to slowly move it, move the needle a bit. So if anyone, like Joe, if you have any resources on theming or things that have worked for you, uh, please point them my way because I would love to love to learn more about them. The chat's currently talking about Sprockets and Bower and those are things I haven't heard of in a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, somehow I missed Bower and I didn't really miss Gulp. I still had to do Gulp a little bit on the tail end of Gulp. Bootstrap 2, yeah. Yeah, 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 This is all very familiar to me. Bootstrap 2 and Material UI. <laughs> I skipped the Bower Train. I didn't like it when I first saw it. I didn't... Yeah, I don't know why. I don't really... What was the other one? There was a, there were a bunch of like pre-compilation things before Webpack took over. Grunt.
1: Grunt was a huge one. I, I remember going from Grunt to Gulp. Browser iffy. Browserify. Browserify. Uh, Browserify. I did use. I, I did use Browserify, but there were also all sorts of like async module loaders. Um, uh, I was applying to. I applied at a place a long time ago, and there's a specific module loader they didn't have experience with, so they didn't hire me. <laughs> I'm really, really trying to remember the name of it. Require JS, maybe.
0: You blocked it out. It was so traumatic yeah this is the one this feast your eyes on this i'm explicitly not doing webpacker in my rails apps these days because like uh i don't know <laughs> i like i get it webpack is great i use it for view and nuxt obviously and, and phoenix like comes with it now but uh yeah man i don't know i don't want node in my rails <laughs> i really don't <laughs>
1: Yeah, Joe Strouth one says, "The recommend checking out discussions in the Design Tokens Working Group on GitHub, and AKA has a lot uh, has a great book on design systems from Smashing Mag that touches on it. Nate Baldwin and Nathan Curtis have some of the most in depth blog posts about it that I've read. So I'm definitely going to Google those, and I can I can put some links to the show notes
0: as well. What is Design Tokens? Is that is that the name for the sort of system of of naming things? Um, if I I've I've seen people talking about it on Twitter. It seems like design
1: tokens are like token would be like an element, right? Okay. I follow uh, Gina. I forget her. I don't. I forget her last name. But I follow Gina um, on Twitter. She's the co-chair of design tokens. That's yeah. That's who she is. So that's where I've heard that term before. Is she's been tweeting about it for a while, but I haven't like just dug into it. Which is funny because I was talking with one of our devs today, and. uh we were talking about JavaScript and 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 he was he he said something, and I was like, Yeah, well it would be nice if JavaScript had like a standard lib that it just shipped with. <laughs> and he was like, What's a standard lib? And it's like, okay, well, here we go. Let's go over to Google. And uh and yeah, so basically like on my part of my like interview process for Meta Lab, they asked me, like, you know, do you prefer front end or back end work more? And I was like, Well, I like I genuinely do like both. I definitely prefer back end work, but I didn't like emphasize it that much to them. I was like, well, I enjoy both, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just funny because I do definitely, the more I, I'm happy to like dig into this design token stuff, digging into theming stuff. Cause it, it, I want to learn it. It's just interesting to me because I like learning stuff like that and it's a problem to be solved, but I definitely prefer like working with databases and APIs. That's funny. Maybe you should have emphasized <laughs> that <laughs> they'll figure it out eventually. Well, I mean, we do, they do do API contract or backend contracts, just not as often. So,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: so now it's a lot of, uh, react bike shedding and typescripting, and <laughs> all that stuff. I just really like, I just want to get really good at it so I can be fast, so I can get my stuff done and help other people get their stuff done. So we can just like talk shop in Slack. <laughs> That's really the end goal, I guess. It's called Slack for a reason, right? I guess it's my plea for feedback for the week is, well, actually, no, I got the, I got the answer. Shout out to Joe for prematurely completing the, uh,
0: the feedback loop. Don't send us any feedback. Forget it. We don't want to hear from you. Joe's handled it already. He's given me enough reading. But if people did want to send feedback,
1: though, tell them. Well, you can send a notarized letter to, actually, I don't know your address. <laughs> Please don't dox me. Wait, no, you tell them. You
0: you're the one that tells them where we're supposed they're supposed to send feedback. It's on Twitter. Even though Sean just said that he deleted his Twitter app, you can send us feedback on Twitter and maybe someone will get it, but maybe not. DNC cast. Sean is Sean Washbot, and I'm Shrockwell. Z O O M M box three five O oh, Boston Mass. Oh two one three four. Send it to Zoom. What? Don't worry about it. I don't know what this is. It was, a, it was a show. It's Zoom. Yeah, I have no idea. They even had their own language. It was like a pig Latin, but it was uh what was it? Up uh oh god, I can't remember. Uppa Guppa or something. Zoom was cool because it was kind of like a kind of a variety show, but like it encouraged you to like do things and build things and be creative and Ubby dubby. Anyway.
1: Uh, show notes will be available at DNC.show. Everything that we talked about today, except for
0: the last few minutes, will be will be listed in there. <laughs> you probably won't even hear it, because I'm going to cut it all out. Yeah. But if you do want to hear everything, you can catch it on Twitch, live, Thursday nights, 6 Pacific, 9, 1 True Time Zone, twitch.tv slash DNC Cast. We're chatting, we're streaming, we're recording, we're petting dogs, Sean is green for some reason, maybe it's Cher- Cher- Cherenikov. Radiation Radiation We don't know Twitch.tv slash DNCcast
1: And uh, the last thing that I say is Thanks to Spec for having us and putting us out in the world And if you're into other design development related shows Head over to DNCcast Or no, head on over to to spec.fm and check them out
0: Got it wrong three times in a row It's all good Well listen Don't work too hard have a good rest of your week. Relax. Spend some money on a new Mac. Everything will be good. It'll be faster than my brand new 16 inch MacBook Pro. So you can at least feel good about that. The air? Yeah.
1: I just I just don't I don't know. I'm gonna hold off for a while. I'm gonna hold
0: off. I got this beast of a PC here. I need I need a new iMac yesterday, so the instant that comes out, uh it's in my shopping cart.
1: Uh why iMac over a Mac Mini?
0: Uh, Cause I want a really nice 5k display and I don't want to pay thousands of dollars for it. So I got lucky with mine.
1: Well, I only got lucky because other people got unlucky. A startup went under and my friend was like, Hey, we got to offload these monitors. <laughs> I was like I'll take one,
0: <laughs> but yeah. All right, man. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.